I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Uh, what is up, everybody? This is Bob Wankel alongside Anthony Sanfilippo. We have a fresh episode of Crossed Up for you. And Anthony, this was not exactly what I had in mind when I said we would be recording later in the week. I thought we'd be reacting to three or four games against the New York Yankees, taking us into the weekend against the Toronto Blue Jays. But those games never happened. And the three games against the Blue Jays aren't going to happen. Uh, things have changed since we've last talked yeah, just a little bit, Bob. Um, and it, it's kind of interesting to me um, how this is all broken down. And broken down is probably the uh, – there's double meaning there, right? I mean, because the, the, the system is broken down uh, just as easily as, as how this came to be. But um, it, it's concerning to me. I, I'm more concerned, and I know I saw your, your story that you put out, I'm more concerned with how baseball handled this than I am with worry about where the Phillies go from here, in all honesty. Because, because I think there is a path for the Phillies and the Marlins to play. Like, I really do. Um, and play enough, even if they don't get to 60, but to play enough games. I, 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 just baseball's ineptitude with this whole situation is what really bothers me. So I don't know how you feel about that, but that's, that's where I am today. Well, we will get into all of that uh, in just a few minutes. I had an opportunity to talk with Megan Montemuro of The Athletic on Thursday afternoon, uh, and we did a little 20-minute hit there. We talked about, obviously, what's happened with the Phillies this past week, what's happening with the Marlins, and what covering baseball in the middle of a pandemic has been like from her perspective. Uh, and so we appreciated her jumping on. Let's get to that interview right now. And then Anthony and I will come back and we will try to make some sense of this chaos that is happening in, well, not Major League Baseball, just here in Philadelphia right now. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not uh, as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, and joining me now is Megan Montemuro of The Athletic. Does great work over there uh, covering the Phillies along with Matt Gelb. I highly recommend if you do not have a subscription to The Athletic that you check it out and make sure that you're reading both Megan and Matt. Uh, Megan joins us today in the middle of uh, some chaos here for the Phillies this week. Today, uh, some bad news coming in that two staffers tested positive for COVID-19, one coach and one clubhouse attendant. Uh, Obviously, in light of that, there will be no baseball at Citizens Bank Park 
this weekend. Phillies were scheduled to be hosted, I guess, by the Toronto Blue Jays uh, this weekend. So, uh, obviously, Megan, this is a mess. We've been trying to do this now for the last 24 <laughs> hours or so, uh, and it has not worked out, but we've, we've carved out a few minutes. And I guess um, let's just start with the most recent news, which is that the Phillies aren't going to be playing baseball this weekend. What, what's your takeaway from what we heard today? Yeah, I mean, with the news that you have personnel that, you know, had contact with players testing positive, um, and, and the results were from Wednesday's tests. So, I mean, basically all, all the, the science says that it can take days for a positive test um, to occur. So I guess it's not surprising necessarily on that level that, you know, it's a couple days after their series against the Marlins and, and you have some positive tests. But Obviously, it's concerning, and and now kind of the clock starts of okay, so so now how long do you have to wait further to see if you know do any players you know test positive, especially ones that had been on the field and might have had close interactions with guys that had played in Friday or Saturday's game. Um, but I mean, yeah, with with them not playing this weekend, I, I mean, I still think it might even be a stretch if they play next week, um, at least early next week, which it sounds like was going to be a schedule change um, and they were going to play the Yankees. So, yeah, I mean, obviously if you're the Phillies, this is really concerning um, with today's news. And I think that the big key is going to be, you know, this, this coach, whoever it is, how much contact did he then have with other players? And so that's kind of going to be the next step. And it'll be interesting to see what contact tracing, um, what results from that. It's it's a very difficult situation, I would imagine, for the team to navigate because you can't keep these guys on ice day after day. I mean, they're major league baseball players. They have to stay in shape. They have to get their swings in. Pitchers have to throw. And so they opened up the stadium yesterday, and there was, uh, I guess, staggered workouts. We don't know, uh, at least at this point, as you and I are both talking right now, uh, if that coach came in contact with uh, certain players during that workout, which I guess my concern would be, does this reset the clock in terms of – potential exposure to to certain players and what does that do now maybe setting back the timeline getting restarted yeah and that's a big question I mean assuming you know if it turns out that there is no other way that the staffer or the coach you know came in contact or were exposed to someone else outside of the ballpark then yeah that makes the Marlins a pretty obvious link to all this and you know, because again, yeah, are, are you starting the clock from zero from yesterday? If there was a lot of hands-on work between the coach and players, or you know, obviously if the staffers in the clubhouse, you know, around guys and their and their locker stalls, yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to wonder: do you have to start the timer back at you know zero or one, dating to yesterday? And so, if that's the case, yeah, who knows how long it can be before they play again? And and as you mentioned, I mean, pitchers in particular. I mean, they've already had an insane schedule the last six months going from ramping up for spring training back in February to not being in that environment for three months and then three weeks of summer camp. And now, you know, these guys are basically on ice three days into the season. So, yeah, it, there, there's a lot of concerns on multiple levels. You know, can they really ramp right back up into games if you're not playing games for a week? I don't know how tuned into this you are, but I, I figure I, I will ask you because I certainly do not know the answer to this. I'm trying to think of how I want to frame this. Do you believe that it's possible in light of what has happened this week that there may be some players or certainly we know there were some players that had reservations about – 
entering this season, opting in and playing. Do you think in light of this that there may be some, some difficult conversations had between players, players and their families about what they should do moving forward? I mean, you look around baseball right now and everybody besides the Marlins and Phillies are kind of just going about their business and playing a season. Um, do, do you think the Phillies have to stop and pause and kind of look at this and say, like, at what point is this just not worth it? Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. And I, and I would not be surprised if those conversations are being – had by some some players and their families you know especially for guys that either have young children um if their wives are pregnant i mean there's still so much unknown and still being learned about the virus that i think it's completely fair and reasonable that some guys would question or at least seriously discuss um whether it's worth continuing to play and especially even just from a physical health standpoint like again you know their careers are not ending after this season and so you don't want to do something. I mean, you've already looked, if you look around the league, there've already been numerous uh, for pitchers, arm related injuries. And so if you're a guy, you know, who is planning to keep playing for a few more years and, and maybe you haven't gotten that, that big contract or you haven't reached free agency yet, then yeah, getting hurt right now, you know, would certainly not be ideal, which I don't think you can rule out, you know, with such a bizarre schedule right now. So I do think it's fair. I would not be surprised if that happens, and it will certainly be interesting to see if, if any players decide to opt out. I will say the one thing that maybe would convince guys to keep playing, even with maybe some reservations, is you know the Phillies are expected to be a good team. They're expected to compete for the postseason. So it's not like these guys are on the Marlins or like the Tigers, where maybe you're like, well, we're going to be terrible anyways. What's the point? I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. So we – project out here and I, I think it's pretty realistic at this point to say the the Phillies will not be playing 60 games this season I believe if I'm not mistaken they would have to play 56 games in like 57 days or, or something crazy like that they'll have had more time off from Sunday to Monday if they even play next week than they would have had built into their original schedule in terms of off days so that being said do you think that the league can create some type of semblance of competitive balance moving forward and keep some type of competitive integrity intact or do you just almost chalk this up to at this point saying like listen if we can get the the end line no matter what it looks like we just have to make do and it's sort of I, I hate saying this but it is what it is like how does major league baseball reset the parameters of this season to make it look you know somewhat competitive yeah, and I think that's part of, like that's part of the equation. Like, how much is the league willing to, you know, quote unquote, hurt? Like, what's their pain tolerance of of what they're willing to have this season look like? Because, you know, not only do you have it being two teams in the same league, but these are two teams in the same division. And so, you know, whoever wins the NL East, like, is that how legit is that going to be? Because I don't see a really, a, like you said, a scenario where the Phillies and Marlins can both play 60 games. So there's a disadvantage right there within the own, with, within one division. So yeah, I think it's problematic and, you know, and it's one of those things that like, you know, once something, once the first domino domino falls with this virus spreading around a clubhouse and now, up, you know, potentially jumping to the other team, you're having a hard time to, to put that back in. And so yeah, I mean, there's no great solutions. I mean, I, I think, you know, how do you, I don't know how you let the Phillies now potentially go play even next week. So 
I don't really have any good answers for how they would even solve the issue of not having the Marlins and Phillies play for like 10 days potentially. Um, but certainly it seems like they're going to have to base at least the national league based on winning percentage to determine the playoff spots. I would imagine they would have to at least indicate what the new set of rules are going to be in the coming days. I mean, for fans, if you're looking at this from a fan perspective, you say, okay, well, I just watched the Mets play last night. I just watched the Nationals, the Braves play. And if you're a Phillies fan, you have to be looking at this saying like, well, so what does this mean for, for the team? What does this mean for my, for my rooting interest? Are we losing ground? Should I be concerned that they may have to play 55 more games in a compact schedule? You know, so I, I would imagine that baseball in the next, I don't want to give it too much credit, but I would imagine baseball in the next few days here, maybe five days, will come up with an updated set of guidelines as to what the the competitive aspect of this may look like? Yeah, I mean, and I think it's really hard because I, th I think a lot of it will come down to, in part, you know, are, are the Phillies and league able to determine whether the virus spread from the Phillies, you know, to or from the Marlins to the Phillies, you know, specifically the coach and staffer, or does contact tracing suggest that one of them or both of them, you know, got it outside away from the ballpark? So I think that could determine a lot of things moving forward. But yeah, but I think part of it is too is, you know, guys are not mandated to wear masks in the dugout. Um, or, you know, a first baseman is not mandated <laughs> to wear a mask, even with somebody on base. And so these guys still have close contact and they're sharing enough close space over a three and a half to four hour game that unless you address some of the the small components that that lead to you know a potential spread like yeah I, I don't know even how you go about rescheduling some of this stuff without being able to answer some of those basic questions uh, before we move on, I do want to just touch on this real quick. So I've had some people uh, ask me about my impressions of the Marlins and, and how they behaved or how they acted uh, in the dugout and on the field over the weekend. I mean, my, my true observation was that they certainly had a lot of energy. They seemed to be having a lot of fun. Uh, I, would, I would say that they probably didn't take social distancing measures all that seriously. But at the same time, like – from what I saw, and I was only there Saturday and Sunday, I didn't see anything that, that I felt was absolutely irresponsible that I, I guess at least on the context of a baseball field, I guess I have two questions for you. Number one, did you have a, a different set of observations about what you kind of took in this weekend from the Marlins? And number two, Major League Baseball is obviously investigating what happened here and how this started do you think, and I know there are a lot of fans and, and some media people have been talking about this, that the Marlins should have to pay some type of penalty for, for introducing this virus into the game once the regular season started? I mean, what are your overall thoughts on, on the Marlins and, and where they're kind of at right now? Yeah, so to start, I mean, I definitely noticed after Sunday's game um, because I was specifically looking to see if – Ramirez or Cooper had been in the dugout and you know if they had won if they were going to be out on the field and so I was kind of watching closely how they were operating after the win and you know the coaches all staggered themselves like kind of a little bit past the dugout onto the field clearly distancing themselves you know for the typical post-game handshake line but then I'm watching the team and it seems like they're celebrating as they normally would like it from, from my vantage point, which, you know, we're a little far away up in the press box, but it seemed like there were some guys high-fiving. They were at least close enough that, you know, 
that kind of interaction would be concerning given the news that was, you know, breaking before the game. And so, I mean, I was definitely struck by that and kind of like, uh, this doesn't really seem like the best idea. I know you want to celebrate a win, but I'm not sure that's how you do it right now. Um, And I think the other thing is, too, is, like, it didn't seem like on Sunday there were more guys wearing masks on the field when they were playing defense. Um, Especially, I don't recall – I'd have to go back and try and find video or a photo, but I don't recall the first baseman wearing a mask when anybody got on base. Um, So it's little stuff like that where you would hope they would take, like, five steps – beyond what they the bare minimum of what they should be doing um and I think it was telling that you know for the first time you know Harper was wearing a mask when he reached first base so I think that was telling that he was willing to take that extra step of precaution um so yeah I was a bit concerned by some of the things I saw on the field given given the news that happened right before the game I I will tell you this uh I was this shows you how na- how naive I was. I- I'm watching them clear the field, and I go, "Oh, this is this game's probably not going to happen." I, I felt <laughs> like we were going to get that cancellation, and then when they all kind of came back out onto the field, I said to myself, "Oh, this is good." I mean, even if they had a couple of positive test results, clearly the professionals and people that are in charge of implementing these protocols have assessed the situation and deemed it safe moving forward. So I'm encouraged by this. And, and <laughs> then we find out 24 hours later that that was really just not the right move whatsoever. So um, that being said, I guess I'll just return back to that, that last question about the Marlins. Um, should they be, I mean, can you penalize realistically? Do you think you can penalize a team if there were some transgressions, anything that was absolutely egregious? I mean, my initial sense is no, and that their season has, taken such a hit that from a competitive standpoint there's really not much else you're going to do I mean could you possibly suspend players find them in this scenario I I don't see that happening but I'm kind of curious as to what you think yeah I mean I think if there were to be any sort of you know so-called punishments that I think the only real authority would kind of have to come from the team like I, I think it would be a slippery slope if MLB was like oh what you know what you just kind of destroyed our season um you know even though you know maybe maybe they you know followed protocols as they should have I mean it's not I know there's rumors out there but it's not exactly clear at least public knowledge as to maybe how how somebody on the team initially got it for the Marlins um but you know maybe the Marlins to send a message find guys and say like you you weren't behaving as you should away from the field, like conduct detrimental to the team. Um, So maybe if there's any sort of punishment, it it would have to be that way. But again, I think that'd be really difficult. And with something like this, you know, especially players, they've been traveling. um, You know, you can't, you can't put a tracer on these guys. They're allowed to live their lives away from the field. So I think that would be very difficult to do. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, The last thing I I wanted to touch on here before, uh, you uh, go back to doing, I'm sure, a lot of things going on right now. I'm sure you have quite a bit of work in front of you. But uh, before I let you get out of here, I do want to ask you, I personally have struggled with this. Uh, it's something I've thought about a lot. I'm sure it's something that you've thought about a lot as well. And it's just the idea of covering baseball right now uh, in the middle of this. You know, you watch these games this weekend and it's easy to talk about situational hitting and uh, the bullpen and you want to be critical of 
of what you're seeing and, and try to analyze the game and assess it like you usually would in any other year. But then you step back and you realize that there is just so much more going on. What's it been like for you uh, covering the game and, and really how it's impacted the way that you think about it and the way that you write about it and, and really just the general impact overall? Yeah, I mean, I, I would definitely say on, on a personal level that there are conflicting feelings. You know, on one hand, it felt really nice to write about Zach Wheeler's Phillies debut and write about actual baseball stuff and analyze, you know, things that happen between the lines and not, like, talking about scenarios that could play out on a health level and, you know, you know what's, what's going to happen if they can't play a game because, you know, X team has a positive test. And so – yeah, it was a really nice relief to actually like after three and a half months to be able to fully focus on a game. Um, and so that was quite refreshing. But I think most of us would say that there is that feeling like, you know, does baseball really matter right now? Like, I know I need I, I love watching baseball, like from a job perspective, like no sports is not good for any journalists. And so you know, I never understand why I see some of those tweets about journal, like sports writers rooting for, you know, leagues to fail and not be able to play because, you know, our livelihoods depend on the leagues too. But I think there is that, that conflicting feeling that, you know, these guys have families, they have kids, you know, you never want to wish anybody to get sick. And so, yeah, it's definitely been very conflicting. And I, and I've, guess I kind of try to approach it of when the time when in the moments where it's about baseball to write about baseball and embrace that because people do enjoy still reading about those things but you know in situations like this I mean obviously you can't ignore it and you can't not write about it even if people are (laughs) sick about reading it you know for four straight days it still matters and it's still a public health issue and you can't just completely ignore that. Yeah, I'm totally with you. I'm in education as well, actually. And, uh, you know, we're gearing up and making our plans to go back to schools. And I have a lot of um, anxiety over what that's going to look like, uh, how that could potentially impact my own health, uh, how it would impact the health of the students and other teachers in a building. And I think about what that may from a psychological and an anxiety element or aspect do to, to a person. And then I try to equate that over to sports. And I know that we look at these guys like they are that they don't have the same lives that they have that they're playing a game and so you you watch these guys and you evaluate them and you criticize not you specifically but we I guess criticize when they come up short and we go in depth about you know player performance but I just wonder what the overall toll and impact of everything else that's going on outside of the game right now has on their performance and I know for me personally I found myself this weekend especially on Sunday when things weren't going well, you kind of want to say, wow, the 2020 Phillies look a lot like the 2019 Phillies. And these are all the things to be critical about. But then I found myself sort of pumping the brakes a little bit because I I stepped back and I said, Jesus, does this, does this even matter? And like, can you blame these guys right now? If they're not exactly dialed in 100%, they just found out three guys across the field from them tested positive for COVID-19. They may not all be in this right now. So it's just created a, a very, very weird dynamic. And I personally, if I'm being honest with you, I have a very difficult time navigating how to, to balance those things. Yeah. And I think too, I mean, again, you, you hear the argument that, you know, the, these guys are playing a, a kid's sport, but there's a lot of work that goes in behind the scenes. And even just from a routine basis, like 
the past four and a half months has, has greatly disrupted that. And so I can only imagine how stressful it is for guys who during the layoff were trying to find ways, you know, to hit, to, to keep their arm strong. And, and because these are jobs and livelihoods for these guys too. And they know, Hey, especially, especially for maybe like fringe roster guys, like, Hey, if I don't perform, I'm not going to have a job. And so I would hope maybe some people can relate to that in the sense of like job security, wanting to be able to provide for, for your family, regardless of how much money you make and the stressors that can come with that. And so, yeah, I think the, the past four, four-ish months have been very stressful on these guys. All right. Well, I really appreciate you taking out some time here and uh, doing this with us. Uh, again, Megan Montemuro, The Athletic, if you uh, are yet not subscribed to that, please make sure that you do so. Be sure to check her stuff out on a daily basis. Uh, Megan, once again, thank you so much for doing this. Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right. And like we said, that was Megan Montemuro. We appreciated her jumping on. Uh, some really good insight out of her. She does a great job. Um, so make sure, again, that you are following her stuff over at The Athletic. Uh, okay, Anthony. So you tipped it at the top of the show that you're a little bit uh, miffed with Major League Baseball uh, and the incompetence, as you called it, that it has shown here in recent days. Why don't you, uh, why don't you just kind of lay it all out there for us? Well, here's, here's what bothers me the most, Bob. They insisted they had a plan, and they had protocols in place. And what has come out to be is that they have had zero plan and not enough protocols in place. I mean, yeah, they had protocols in place for testing and what to do with a, with a player who may be tested positive. Yet yeah, those protocols existed. But what, it, what did not exist, and I, I can't believe it did not exist, was what do we do in case something like what has happened happened? They had to have something in place. They had to have some idea that maybe a team – would if, if a few guys on a team became infected, then obviously everyone else becomes susceptible. How do we handle that? You know, where do we move games, et cetera, et cetera. None of that was, was pre, pre, predetermined. None of that was preplanned or mapped out. There should have been – there are so many steps here, Bob. There's, I mean, God, I can, we can unpack this so many different ways. First of all, they should have not played the game Sunday. Once, once four players test positive, three players and a coach – for the Marlins test positive on Saturday, they should have not played the Sunday game. They did. Okay. So that's mistake number one. Okay. Mistake number two is not having a contingency plan in place to decide what happens next. Where do these teams go? Who plays, who's going where? Then you got the whole Phillies Yankees thing. Say, okay, well, they're going to, they're going to play four games, but we're going, to, we're going to delay those games. We'll make them next week. Okay, fine. And then the Blue Jays are going to come to Philadelphia. They could have planned to get the Phillies out, get them the hell out of Philadelphia. Don't make them practice at Citizens Bank Park because if it's something that's in the park, you're putting them at risk. Whether or not that's, you know, what's happened here because they got two, uh, a coach and a 
clubhouse worker who became tested positive uh, early Thursday. Who knows if that's where it came from. If it, I mean, they're going to do contract, contact tracing and try and figure that out. But at the very least, if you had concern that you couldn't play games in the stadium, why is the team still practicing in the stadium? Yeah, Get well, away. so there are a couple things here. To your original point about not playing on Sunday, I remember we talked Sunday night, and my takeaway was that sitting in the press box, I said, this doesn't look good. I don't think we're playing baseball today. A few minutes go by, Marlins come out, Phillies come out, and I said to myself, hey, this is great. This is a good thing. Obviously, the people in charge, they followed the protocols. The decision makers have deemed this safe. Let's go. And I looked at it as a, a positive development at the time. And boy, was I wrong because 24 hours later, we find out that essentially, you know, more than a third of their entire traveling party has been diagnosed with COVID-19 now. And it's mystifying to me that they were allowed to play given that there were numerous positive tests. You know, you want to err on the side of caution. How do you take the field at that point? Right. That being said, if these guys were infected on Saturday and Saturday's game was played, and then we came to find out that, you know, multiple people tested positive in the coming days anyway, I almost wonder, even if they didn't play on Sunday, would we still have been playing baseball this week? I don't know that there's an absolute direct correlation between canceling Sunday's game and playing this week. I, I would imagine that certainly it sped up the urgency of the matter, and I think it made it impossible to play. But I do wonder if there still would have been enough concern present by the Phillies, not just even baseball, but enough by the Phillies to say, yo, we've got to pause for a day. They probably would have played the Yankees at some point this week, don't know if it would have happened on Monday night. Now, looking at this situation and you step back at and you just evaluate the whole thing, the confidence level in baseball, even if they can patch this up and get the Phillies and Marlins back on the field, there can't be a ton of confidence that baseball is going to handle the next brush fire, you know, with proper protocols and, and do it and have it make sense and be logical and keep things safe. Like there has to be real doubts about Major League Baseball's ability to move forward and do the right things here. Well, I mean, I, you know, you heard the commissioner, and he's, by the way, and I put a column up on Crossing Broad today, the worst commissioner in professional sports, not just currently, but in my lifetime. That's 46 years, Bob. That's a half, almost a half a century. The worst, and, he, and it could be one of the worst ever, okay? But I heard him say that, oh, it logistically didn't work for Major League Baseball to go into a bubble. And I say, why? Why couldn't you do yeah, – maybe you might have needed more than one. I mean, like NBA's got one, NHL's got two. Okay, all right. Maybe baseball needed three. Maybe they needed three locations. And I know that that becomes a little bit tougher, right, when you got to go to a third one. But I, how hard is it to pull this off, you know, and to get people and say, listen, you can't leave. If these other sports can do it – soccer did it too. If these other sports can do it, if these other sports have – you know, their players buying in, whatever. If this falls on the Players Association because they didn't want to do the bubble because, oh, they didn't want to leave their families for so long, well, then it's on the players too. I mean, it's not just the commissioner. But the fact of the matter is that they to sit there and say, yeah, no, we don't need to do that. And then if on your first weekend you have a rampant <laughs> breakout of COVID, then that's – it's ridiculous. It's, the whole thing is just – you're right. I, there is zero confidence that they, could, that they can get it right. Now, you hope they can. You hope they learn from the mistake, right, and, and figure it out and say, if this happens again, what, this is then what we will do. But I, I don't know if you have confidence in that. 
Yeah, I mean, if there is a silver lining in all of this, it's likely that it happened so early. And if there were players that weren't taking this seriously or felt that, hey, listen, we're out on the field now, we're outside, let's slap hands, let's you know, do the high five thing, let's be up close, no masks. If you were a little bit loose with your precautionary measures, maybe now this will have the attention of the players. And not just from a safety standpoint, but just from a, oh, crap, we could derail this entire season standpoint. Yeah, well, I'll, t- I'll say this. There's two things that I want to respond to that. One, we've we got to really, let's, let's, you know, call a spade a spade. This happened because of the Marlins going out in Atlanta, right? They were stupid. They went out to a club in Atlanta, all right? And that's how they got this. And then they brought it to Philly. All right. Now, secondly, even though the Phillies had two positives today, like we've pointed out, not players, okay? Now, of yeah. course, of course, right, yeah. you say, yeah, and that's right. That's what I was just about to say. Of course, it could still be players over the course of the next week, week and a half. But what, one thing that we'll, we'll learn is if none of the Phillies players get this, get COVID related to this Marlins situation, the one thing I think we can learn is it's probably not going to be transmitted while playing the game of baseball. The actual game itself on the field is not a risky situation. The clubhouse is risky. The, you know, sitting close together in a dugout is probably risky. You know, stuff like that. There are, there are riskier situations. But actually being on the field, because it's a game that keeps people, for the most part, distant from each other, with the exception of when you have, like, a base runner on first or batter catcher kind of situation. But for the most part, you know, you're, you're keeping the distance. So we can learn – we can actually learn something, and it could end up being a positive that we learn from this, okay? And baseball's got to take that and, and go with it. But, boy, oh, boy, did not have to, – to just kind of be dismissive of it, they were so worried. They were so worried with forcing their 60-game season down our throats. Because let's be, let's be honest, Manfred slipped up when he said it that we were never going to have more than a 60-game season. That tells you that they were negotiating in bad faith with the players, that they were – this was what they wanted, this is what they were going to do all along, and they were so concerned with getting this outcome to, to make sure that the owners' pockets were lined properly, that they did not put the proper health and safety protocols in place. And we heard players bitch about it, and now we know why that they were. Well, yeah, one thing I will say, though, and, and though I am in full agreement with you on Rob Manfred and his um, – his his overall job performance, I will say that the Players Association balked at the idea of a bubble as well. And, I mean, some prominent players came out and talked about the viability of it. I believe Clayton Kershaw uh, was pretty outspoken, saying he didn't think it was going to be a possibility. I know Mike Trout certainly talked about that as well. And then you also look at where these bubbles would have theoretically – you know, been built. And again, do you go to the lengths of the, the NBA and what they've done? Because to me, what the NBA has done, and I guess I don't know as much about the NHL, but I guess what the NHL has done as well. Right now, you would have had bubbles in, I suppose, Florida and Arizona were the two geographical points that they initially talked about. And obviously, those states are a hot mess right now. So I do wonder, would the MLB have actually been uh, as is full scale as the NBA's because to me that's the only way it could have worked. You could have put everybody in the same city or a couple cities, but then they're going to be exposed to a highly contagious geographical areas of COVID nineteen right now, and then that in and of itself would have been an entire setback. So I think well, it illustrates the larger point that no matter what you do, I mean, God, baseball has certainly been inept in this situation, but it, there's just no perfect plan 
in the middle of a pandemic. There's just not. Well, well, well here's what we're learning, okay? So the NBA is in Florida. They're in Orlando. Their last two rounds of tests for the entirety of 22 teams that are down there, zero COVID cases, zero, okay? So they're in the, they're in the thick of it. They're in the heart of it, and they got zero cases. Now, the NHL, they went to Canada, which I'm not saying that baseball should have gone to Canada, but the NHL went to Canada, which has managed this a little bit better than the United States has, and they're in two different cities. And they were able to make it work. But the good thing about when I, what, I, what baseball could have done and learned from the NHL, they could have either done what the NBA did, one city, boom, got it, um, and, and managed it well. Or if you learn from the NHL, what the NHL did is they waited till the last possible minute to announce which cities they were going to go to. They said, here, here's a list of 10 cities we're considering, but we're going to wait until the last minute to decide where we're going because we want to see what, what, who's in the best shape managing COVID at that point. And so the baseball could have put out not just Arizona, Florida, they could have put out other cities as well and identified at the time, at mid-July, and said, you know what, here are the two cities that are doing best. This is where we're going with it. And taking it there. But they didn't. They didn't even consider it. They basically shrugged it off. And like you said, the players were involved in that too. And I, I put that not just on the commissioner and the owners, but that one's on the players too. But my God, this whole, this whole thing is just a disaster. You know, it's amazing though. I think we're looking at this from such a hyper-local perspective because if you were in any of the other cities across baseball right now outside of Miami, you'd say, this is actually going pretty well. <laughs> you know, Everyone's gotten to enjoy a nice week of baseball. Games are being played, highly competitive. Even if you hate some of the rules changes, they've certainly been interesting to watch over the past few days. So it's just here in Philadelphia where we were all amped up for the return of baseball, got three days of it, and then got it taken away from out, uh, you know, underneath of us right away. Uh, so as it, I guess, specifically pertains to the Phillies, just to talk a little bit more about them, they're in a little bit of a situation here. We talked about this coach possibly being exposed to the players, staying out of the stadium. They have to kind of walk a balancing act here, though, because it's, it's a situation where you can't just shut guys down and ice them for five, six days and then expect them to get back out on the field. And I guess now what I'm wondering with the announcement today that baseball operations have ceased at Citizens Bank Park, at least, at least for Thursday, and we don't quite know yet what this means moving forward. We don't know yet Friday's test results. How, what is that going to look like? Will a player test positive? Because if a player tests positive, don't expect, at least in my opinion, to see baseball at the beginning of next week. I just don't think it's going to happen. I don't know that. And just talking to Megan a few moments ago, she's a little bit skeptical that baseball may happen at the beginning of next week as it is. If the Phillies can't get in there and work out as early as Friday, I mean, if they, if they can't resume some type of structural you know, workouts moving forward here in the next 24 to 48 hours, what is, the, what is the feasibility of going to the Bronx on Monday night to play the New York Yankees? And not only are you now dealing with the COVID concerns, you're also dealing with the injury concerns, the, the normal injury concerns. Because these guys, it's not just as simple as, hey, you got a couple of days of rest, stretch, throw, and go play ball. It, it's not that easy. So I wonder what that's going to mean from a, a health standpoint, the ability to stay healthy and play, and also just overall – refining your skills. I mean, what the hell are the Phillies going to look like when they come back next week? Yeah, well, okay, so two responses to that. First is, get them the hell out of Philadelphia. Go somewhere, keep testing, have them practice somewhere else other than Citizens Bank Park. 
And so that way they can at least get their reps in, like get the stuff in that they need to get in to be ready for a potential game next week. But so it's not that easy though. What city wants to host the Philadelphia Phillies right now? They could do it here. They could do it in Lehigh. They have. Oh, you're saying the, like, okay. You're saying like yeah. keep them in the area. Oh, like I thought you were saying yeah. like take them up to New York or get them out of town. No, 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 no. Just not in, not Citizens Bank. I don't Bank think Park. that Citizens Bank Park is the issue. Like I don't think that there's a COVID nineteen germ in in the clubhouse at this point. I, I doubt. And well, I mean, you're again, probably right. We're speculating here, but I think that the the greater concern is if there is a player that is positive that has not yet tested positive and they come out and we find out that either Friday or Saturday, they are that that exposure within the practice, whether you do it in Philadelphia, whether you do it in Lehigh, whether you do it in, you know, pick a town. I think that the issue then becomes we can't move forward until we're absolutely certain that no player is tested positive. And the issue with that then becomes, you do have to practice. Like I can't kill the Phillies for practicing on Wednesday. Like they, they had to get workouts in. They hadn't, they, they shut right. it down on Monday and Tuesday. So, you know, I, and I know talking to Megan and, and I think reading, you know, a lot of different things over the past few days, you see that the players had some serious concerns about even playing on Saturday just after, you know, revving it back up for two days. So that's where the complication for me comes in. And then I just wonder, can they get back on the field next Monday? You know, and, and I guess let's tackle that first. And then what does it look like? I got to tell you one thing. I, I promise you, if they play next week, you won't hear me be critical of them. Like, in light of the, the, the mental gymnastics, the psychological gymnastics this team's had to go through over the last five days, and then the fact that they're going to be on ice and that they're not going to have all the game reps, the live reps that other teams have had, this puts them at a significant disadvantage going into next week. I don't give a shit how they line up their pitching rotation. Whatever advantage they can gain in that is going to be more than offset by all of the disadvantages that they're dealing with. You know, that, and that's fine. And, and that's fine, Bob. I'm, I'm perfectly fine with that. I, I, I got to imagine. I know baseball's got this hard and fast deadline, right? Hard September and fast. 27th. Got to be done September 27th. They got this hard and fast deadline, right? I've got to imagine that, and maybe not, based off of how they've handled this, maybe not, but I've got to imagine that they say that, that that's their hard and fast deadline because they have in the back of their mind, and are not saying it publicly, we need to build in an extra week or so at the end of this just in case we need to make up games that might have been wiped out by COVID, right? I mean, you Great have point. to assume that that's, that's in, the, in the back of their mind, right? Yeah. I mean, as we, as you see, we're just sort of making it up as we go along here anyway. So who's to say that you get to September 27th and the 27th doesn't become October 4th, you know, and, and maybe, maybe the data, maybe the science allows for that. When we get to the end of September, baseball had to set some type of deadline because you come in and you are under the idea that things are going to get worse come the fall. But in light of what we're seeing now, I think that things have gotten a little bit, in terms of the numbers anyway, they've gotten worse a little bit more quickly than we had initially anticipated. So, yeah, I mean, I don't understand why there would be any hard, firm deadline at this point that doesn't have at least a little bit of bend to it. Right. So, so the way I look at it then is you say, okay, we have some scheduled off days in the season. Maybe we can squeeze one in there. Uh, maybe we can find a way to do double, a double header here or there. And so then maybe you don't have to make up seven to 10 games all at once. 
maybe at that, maybe if you can extend the season that extra week, maybe you only have to make up five of the 10 games at that point, let's just say. And then that way, maybe you know, everything's shut down through Sunday, but assuming that there's no further positive tests in the, with the players, maybe you give them a day or two to get, you know, get a couple practices in, start to get ramped back up. And then by the middle of next week, you could start playing games again by like next Wednesday, let's just say. Yeah. And yeah, you got to make up nine games at that point, but maybe you make up four on some off days or throw a double header in somewhere where you're going to play somebody a second time. And then you have that week at the end of the season where you can make up the rest. Or, if, or if, if it doesn't matter, if you're not in the race, if it doesn't make a difference, you just don't have to make it up. Is there a floor for you, a, a certain amount of games that they would absolutely have to play, assuming that there are going to be teams, and again, this is a hell of an assumption, assuming there are teams that play 60 games this season. You, we can do the win percentage thing, that's fine, but is it 50? Is it 45? Like, at what point does, no. does the actual number of games matter? Because to me, I, I don't think you could go below 50 if there's other teams that played 60. I, I don't even think you can go that low, Bob. I think you have to be somewhere close. I think it'd be really close. I mean, I think if it's 54, that might be – I might be like, okay. But beyond that, I mean, if you're going more than six games, that's more than 10% of the season that's missed – and say, okay, well, you didn't have to play 10% of your games, but you have a better winning percentage, so you're in the playoffs. Like, I, I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I can right. go that far. So, I mean, you know, that's why I think it's – the answer to the question really is where's baseball willing how, – how much is baseball willing to extend their season? And if they're not willing to extend, if they're, if they're being truthful with us and if their hard and fast deadline is that end of September, well, then – then the season's in, in jeopardy at this point. If they're willing to extend it, then we're not in jeopardy yet. Yeah, there's got to be some, some juggling, you know, some, some masterful juggling with the schedule and make sure everything works out and make sure everybody's on board. Um, but it can be done. But, I, but that's where I keep saying I'm, I, I'm not convinced that baseball's smart enough to do it because they should have been smart enough to have something ready off the jump, and they didn't. They didn't. I mean, this is, a, this, is a, this is an organization, that Major League Baseball is an organization that decided to expand its playoffs as the first pitch was being thrown on the season. Like, I mean, how much later could you have gotten with that announcement? I mean, there's so many things that are just kind of just Yeah, in hindsight, I'm, I'm kind of glad they did that, though. I, I was not in favor of expanding the postseason in general, and I hope that once we go back to 162 games that we, we don't do this. Right. But I think in light of this season, what, what Major League Baseball, in effect, did was create some wiggle room and not have such a rigid requirement to reach the postseason. By letting more teams in, you diminish the importance of the regular season and in this specific year, I think you need to diminish the importance of the regular yeah. season, as we're finding out. Well, I'll say the one, the one other thing that I think that we didn't discuss as an alternative when you say, well, what's the minimum number of games? Maybe if it gets to a point where you're, you don't have enough, you sit there and say, okay, well, we have 16 teams going into the playoffs. If one of these teams that is short games, right, could impact the playoff berth of themselves – or another team, maybe we figure out a way to have like a play-in game, like a one-off, one-game playoff kind of deal to make sure that, that, that nobody gets screwed, per se, from having an opportunity to get into the playoffs. You could do something like that and, and say, okay, well, maybe the Phillies only played 54 games, 
and and the Cubs played 60, and the Phillies are slightly ahead of the Cubs for that last playoff spot based off of win percentage. But let's not screw the Cubs because the Phillies are shorthanded. Phillies-Cubs, one-game playoff, winner goes into the playoff round. Yeah, You could do I that, mean, and that would be perfectly reasonable. That's a consideration. You know, we're recording this uh, late Thursday, and, and you'll, you'll probably be able to access this on Thursday night, so you're either listening to this Thursday night or Friday morning. And certainly, again, we don't know – because the money question is, when you look at the incubation period from the time that you could be exposed to COVID-19 to the time that you test positive for it, the window is typically four or five days. And we're, we're just getting to that point now. It was encouraging earlier in the week when there were negative tests. I mean, there was no way you could hear that news and not say this is a good thing. But, you know, even today, Thursday, no players tested positive. You have to remain optimistic about the Phillies at some point getting back on the field, I guess. But I think that Friday's news and this, this latest round of tests that went down on Thursday morning is going to be the one that really tells the story whether the Phillies can resume in some type of timely fashion here. I'm going to ask you a question. Yes. Are the people who have tested positive, are they also being retested? Or do they just – are they just saying, oh, you tested positive, that's it, you're positive. No, I mean, if you tested positive... Because, I mean, I will say that we've had, some situa- we've had situations... Again. No, you they would are absolutely be, be re- Yes. Okay, yeah. because, there, because yeah. one of the things, and not to say that this is the case, and I'm not trying to right. belittle this, but there, there have been instances of false positives, sure. just like there have been instances of false negatives in testing. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's why, they're, that's why they're testing the negatives every day, but I I'm, I'm just want to make sure that they're testing the positives every day as well, because what if, let's just say, for kicks... Whoever the coach is that tested positive today, or you know yesterday's test, and they announce it today, let's say tomorrow's test comes back negative again, right? Then what? Then then what's that mean? Like who knows? Then you got to go another day and right. say, all right, let's see what the third day says. You know, so, I mean, there's there's that possibility of slowing things down too, which we're not even really considering because we're not doctors, we're not epidemiologists, and we don't know. I guess what I'm trying to figure out right now is, are the Phillies just a special circumstance uh, in light of, of their exposure to the Marlins, or is this what we're going to do across baseball now? Because we talk about, oh, there's protocols, but I don't think that we quite have a, a clear definition of what the protocols are. Like, at some point in Major League Baseball, someone's going to test positive for this that doesn't play for the Phillies or Marlins. Right? Like, it's going to affect another team. So, let's just say the second baseman of mystery team is diagnosed with COVID-19. And that's the only one. Are they going to be shut down for a handful of days? Like, or is this – are we just being overly – and when I say overly cautious, I don't mean that in a negative sense. I don't mean that in a critical way. But are we being overly cautious just because of this particular situation? And that's what I don't know because – I would imagine that in light of today's news, that a coach and a staffer test positive, that has caused, in effect, this series to be shut down. I would imagine then that there would be serious implications if a Philly tested positive moving forward beyond this weekend, potentially scrapping the early games next week. So if that's the case, what happens if a – let me pick a team here. What, what happens if a Pittsburgh Pirate tests positive on Saturday? Are they, are they done for a few days? How are they going to do this? So uh, my guess is, and, I, and I, my guess is, is that the reaction with the Phillies is tied into the fact that there was a major outbreak with the Marlins, who were their opponent. Okay, I agree. Uh, because let's really take into let's let's go backwards for a minute. Let's rewind, and let's look at the at the Marlins cases how it came to be. We knew on opening day that they had one person 
who tested positive, which was Jorge Alfaro, okay? So we found out on opening day that they had one person who tested positive. It obviously was not concerning enough to stop opening day. They played opening day. Then the next day, they found out that they had three more positives, two players, and one uh, more, uh, I guess, an assistant. I don't know if it was a coach or a locker room person or whoever. Um, That Saturday, they played the second game. And I believe Garrett Cooper and Harold Ramirez were in the lineup in the, on that on that day. Actually, play they were positive players who played in those played in that game. Now they didn't know they were positive yet, but they were positive on on that day. Okay, because the test was on Saturday. The results came Sunday, so they played in a game as positive players. So we're so we're now get to the Sunday game, and it's like okay, should they have stopped the game? Probably that would have that probably would have made it easier now if the fact that they've now gotten to what i think 19 people in their traveling party have tested positive i think that that makes it like oh my god the phillies are in complete danger because so many people from the marlins but at the same time like if tomorrow's tests come back and there's another day of nothing it's a whole week that you've gone now and you have a coach and a locker room person who may or may not have anything, any contact to do with the Marlins whatsoever. It might not have anything to do with the Marlins at all. So then you start saying, okay, well, then we can work around that. We can figure that out. And so I think when you're asking if a Pittsburgh Pirates second baseman, for example, um, gets COVID, it's the only player on the team that has COVID, what do they do? I think that they try and isolate him, figure out the contact tracing, Let's get those people tested. Until we get one or two more positives, we're okay. But if they get – I think the difference will be if you get a second and third and fourth positive like the Marlins got, they won't play two more games right. until it gets become, becomes an epidemic in their locker room. And I think that that's the difference. That's maybe what we learned. But one player, probably not. Aren't you so excited to be back here playing doctor with, with me again? I've had enough, Bob. I've had you enough know, talking about it. Yeah, it's just, it's like, you just can't get, you can't get away from it. You know, that's no. the one thing that has become very, very clear to me is that no matter what, uh, this is going to remain part of the conversation. It's not like, hey, play ball and let's just talk about baseball. It's just not going to happen this season. Now, as the Phillies pause, the rest of baseball does march forward. And I don't know if you've happened to be able to follow along or watch any of these other teams, specifically in the NL East. But it's kind of funny. You know, the Phillies haven't really had an opportunity to take the field since Sunday, but they're not really losing a lot of ground because the Miami Marlins, which is the great irony in all of this, entered play on Thursday (laughs) as the first-place team in the National League East. So the Atlanta Braves, kind of an up-and-down start. The Mets had a miserable loss on uh, Wednesday night, uh, the game that they they came back in the ninth inning, loaded the bases, got a run across, and then they left them stranded, bases loaded, one out. Uh, they, they lose in miserable fashion. They got blown out on national TV on Sunday night. And then the Nationals have had a sleepy start, as I, I suspected that they would. They're only two and four coming into play on Thursday. They can't hit. Obviously, a big part of that is that Juan Soto is not in the lineup. So they've really struggled out of the gates. I guess if you want to talk about baseball for a minute, because we can't really talk about Phillies baseball, we should probably talk about how it's encouraging that the rest of this division hasn't been very good to start the season. 
Well, I'll say this, Bob. I mean, just looking around, look at the standings around, around baseball. With the exception of the Minnesota Twins, who've gotten off to a really good start, 4-1. and one. And I guess the Yankees, although the Yankees haven't played enough games either. But um, The Rockies? I think the Rockies, Rockies, like Rockies got Yeah, Rockies got off to a good start. Everybody's pretty f- mediocre. Like, or not only mediocre in town, but I just mean record-wise. They're kind of right around, hovering right around 500, either a game above, game below, or right at 500. There's like nobody has really taken off one way or the other or plummeted the other it's, it's just been kind of kind of pretty pretty even which doesn't really surprise me like I kind of felt like you know we were going to be in a little bit of a feeling out process and you know how teams are using their pitchers and probably pulling their starters a little earlier than you know except for like the aces there have been a couple guys who've gone longer in games but you know trying to get to the bullpen sooner you have 12 guys out there whatever in the pen so you're just you know mixing and matching pitchers as best as you can so I think that it doesn't surprise me that it's just kind of like all right let's let's feel it out until we have to tr- start trimming the roster down and when you start trimming the roster down is I think when you'll start to see that uh, any kind of separation that might exist so I, I agree like, and and really to be honest I think that a lot of these guys are still shaking off some rust I think under the circumstances which they came back we can talk about summer camp all we want but that's not the ideal su- uh, situation the ideal startup so I mean if there's any positive from the Phillies viewpoint is that as they sit there it's not like things are getting out of hand or things are you're slipping away from them now again there's a whole weekend of baseball to be played but let's assume that they come back on Monday and uh, you know it doesn't look like they're going to be four games out you know and that's that's at least a good thing uh one more thing I wanted to touch on from a baseball standpoint before we get out of here yeah, two, two former Phillies off to a strong start. I was going start. to ask you this. This was going to be one of the things I wanted to touch on. Go ahead. <laughs> young J.P. Crawford, who, by the way, is only – I mean, he is still so young. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. you look at him and the guy's 25 years old, a 1.170. He's slugging, his slugging percentage is 632 right now. Yeah. Are, you, are you wondering if the Phillies made a mistake on J.P. Crawford right now? Well, I mean, you got to remember, he was, for the longest time, considered one of the top prospects in the entire sport, not just for the Phillies. It was obviously the Phillies' top prospect for a long time, but he was literally a top five, seven in baseball prospect uh, for, for a few years. And so, yeah, did he have a little bit of a setback with the Phillies and didn't quite, you know, get to where he needed to be? But they didn't really give him a chance at the major league level. And now in Seattle, he's playing every day. And, yep, guess what? They, he's again it's just, it's what six games right yeah, so it is what it is but yeah he's gotten off to a great start and I think it's quite possible that the Phillies sold off on J.P. Crawford too soon that is possible uh the other guy I know you know who I'm going to bring up here but Michael <laughs> Franco uh, our guy uh I don't I'm happy to see that he's uh, doing well and I wish him the best and I, I'm rooting for him, but I suspect that his hot start, uh, I'm not quite as optimistic that he's going to continue that. We've seen this from him plenty of times before, but I'll tell you what, over a 60-game season, new scenery, maybe he's, he's motivated and rejuvenated. Perhaps he's about to put, put it all together, Michael. Yeah, well, so uh, I was never as anti-Michael Franco, I think, as you were. I, I was disappointed in him last year. I was disappointed in him in 2017. I thought that he was sneaky okay in 2018. Like, I thought that he had his 2018 year was, was better than a lot of people gave him credit for. Um, and so, like, I kind of thought that, you know, maybe if he had a change of scenery, he could get back to being that 
2018 kind of player, you know, 270 batting average, hit 20-plus home in a full season, hit 20-plus home runs, and have an OPS that hovered close to 800. And I kind of think that that's a serviceable player, especially when the OPS average in baseball is like 758, I think it is, is the, the average player. So if he's hovering around 775, 780, he's slightly above average. And, and you know what? That gives you a career in the, in the sport. Sure. So I kind of always thought that that's what he could be. I don't think he's a uh, 739 slugging guy like he is right now with three doubles and two home runs and six games. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, it is. It's good to see him doing that. And, and the Royals are playing him in two different places. The Royals yeah. are giving him a chance to play both third base and first base. Uh, ultimately, I think he's probably better on the first base side because he's not as mobile as he maybe was when he first came up with the Phillies. But you know what? His bat doesn't – I mean, he's got a hole in the swing a little bit in certain spots, but – I. His bat doesn't doesn't scare me. Like I mean, like I mean, you know, like that. I that I think it's going to be terrible. That's what I mean. That's not that it doesn't scare me as an opposition player or an opposition team. I, I'm I'm okay with where his where he's at. I think he just needed a chance to to play every day in a place where he's not going to be scrutinized and expect to be a superstar like he was here. And I think he'll be just fine. And one more thing before we get out of here, I'd like to just point out that Gabe Kapler, San Francisco Giants, despite the fact that they have the worst run differential in all of the National League, <laughs> are 3-3 three and three right there. Look, it's Gabe Kapler just managing a team with, with very little talent and, and getting the most out of them, just like we saw in the last two years in Philadelphia. Just there, you, there, there you go. With that run <laughs> differential, we'll, we'll come back and rear its ugly head eventually. <laughs> all right. Well, Always does. That's the best we can do here for you uh, on this episode of Crossed Up. We wish we had some Phillies baseball to talk about, but we do not, and we will not for at least a few days. So I would imagine that we will be back early next week, kind of updating the situation as things progress here over the weekend. And hopefully we are previewing a series against the New York Yankees when we talk to you again on Monday. Uh, I'm still optimistic that that's at least a possibility. That's where I'm at. I'm optimistic that it's a possibility. <laughs> I don't know that I'm optimistic it's actually going to happen. So that is it for Crossed Up. Be sure to check out Snow the Goalie. I know you guys just dropped a new episode of that. I believe you guys recorded, what, Wednesday? So there's a new episode of that out leading up to the Flyers resumption of the uh, regular season or whatever the hell they call it in hockey, the qualifying round or round robin or is that what is it? Sunday. Yeah, Sunday's Sunday? round robin, first day of the round robin. Well, so it's both at the same time, Bob. Very exciting. There, I'm, a fly, the, well, the Flyers game is, the round, is part of the round robin, but also on the same day are actual qualifying round playoff games. All so right, it's, well, it's, I gotta, it's interesting. I got to get flyered up then because I might not have baseball to watch for the next few days here. So. There you go. Something to watch on Sunday. So be sure to check that out as well. And one more time, thanks to Megan Montemura of The Athletic for joining us on today's episode. We will talk to everybody soon. Be sure to drop us a five-star review, Anthony. I we know got, there's by the way, one. we got one, Do you want to do it? Do you want to read it? I'm going to read it. We got, right, I forgot to mention. I, that's right. right. I'm glad you brought that up because we actually got – a five-star review, which we were supposed to, you know, we always want to read yeah, our five-star Yeah, we reviews. do want to do that. So that's why you got to leave us one. Okay. Also, make sure that you subscribe on Apple Podcasts because once Anthony finishes this review, we're out. Yeah. Great analysis. Five stars. This is by me, 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 and I. That's the person's handle. Great coverage of the Phillies. I love the interviews that they have had in the past few weeks. Anthony and Bob have great chemistry. Sure do. <laughs> Sure Thanks, do. me, 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 and I. I will say, and what I got, what I got to do is I got to ask Russ how to do this because we are tr we are trending in multiple countries. We're not just a Philly area or U.S. based 
baseball podcast. You were killing it in Ireland all of a sudden. Yeah, but so what we learned by doing that is that there are sometimes uh, reviews that are left for us in other countries that don't show up when we look at it on our phones. So we actually have to go to a different location to get those reviews. So what I'll do is I'll ask Russ where he goes to get the international reviews and see if we have any left over, even if they're a little bit older. Next time we're together, we'll read, we'll read them on the show. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you for joining us, and we will talk to everybody soon.